Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown here at Crack Rackets of everything that happens in the Division I college tennis world. Of course, with the ceremonial start of the season approaching the ITA kickoff weekend less than seven days away, we thought now would be the perfect time for us to kick off our coverage here of the 2023 college tennis season. Of course, some of you may be new to this show. So to recap what we're going to try and do each and every week, we will do our best to break down the biggest results that happen across the Division I college tennis world. We'll do our best to preview each upcoming weekend's action as well. I will do my best to try and bring on the most notable coaches, the most notable players, at least here from one of them on this show each and every week. I will count on my co-host as well as all of you tuning in to keep me honest in that statement. But of course, again, here on this week's show, we've got the ITA kickoff weekend to discuss 15 host regions here on the Division One women's side. So many of the top teams in the country. For many of us, we're going to get our first look at each of these top teams competing, of course, with 15 regions to break down this weekend and so many teams to keep an eye on throughout the course of the year. You know, all of you college tennis fans, I have to have some help here on this show in order to do just that. And thankfully, I will, as joining me here for the second consecutive year and I will say hopefully each and every week here on this show is a returning champion here to our Cracked Rackets content. Of course, you know him best as the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast co-host here of our Deciding Point episodes. It's our dear friend and returning champion of returning champions, John J. Parsons. Jay, welcome to the show, episode one of the season. How are you feeling, my friend? I'm feeling good. Nothing like a little West off production here to increase in the production value, add some excitement to kickoff weekend coming up. Our first live show of the season. What's not to be excited about? Well, you mentioned the big thing there. We are live here. We will be live on YouTube every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time to recap the women's week. We will be live every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time to recap the men. Those podcasts will be released the subsequent days. But for listeners tuning in, I'm going to try my best to keep the swearing under control as we are live on YouTube. And again, the visual component, you don't want to miss out on the fantastic work of super producer Daniel Westhoff. So we hope you'll join us every week. If you have thoughts throughout the course the of the comments. show, I was going to say, feel free to also throw them in the comment section, which is also a very fun part of doing these shows live. It's great to have Scotty B back in our lives here already. We see you Scotty to start 2023. But again, with all of that said, we've got 15 ITA kickoff weekend regions to discuss. Of course, before we do that, you all see how wonderfully dressed I am here for today's show. I brought out my finest polo shirt, courtesy of our dear friends at LS who are getting into the U.S. tennis market. We here at Crack Rackets have been so fortunate to work some of their events over the course of the past year. I am excited. Jay, you tell me, do I pull it off? They say the man makes the shirt. I think in this instance, the shirt makes the man. I think it does. You guys should see him when we're not live. It is not this spiffy whatsoever. So you're also missing out on that if you're just listening to the podcast version of this. But love the color. Love the collar. You don't get a collar often out of you. So um, it makes me feel like I need to step up my game next week. 
No, the thing I really like is the easy access. You've got this zipper here. So like if we're getting loose, I can get loose. If we got a button Ooh. up, I can button up as well. So it's a two for one here with LS. And again, we're so excited to welcome LS to this show here throughout the course of the year. Of course, we're also so excited to welcome back our friends at the Swing Vision app. And you all know about the Swing Vision app because we've been talking about it for a while here at Crack Rackets. They are on the forefront of all artificial intelligence innovations happening within our sport. You want to get better? in the most efficient way possible, download the Swing Vision app today. Let their technology work for you. You can learn more by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. When you do inevitably sign up, use our promo code CRACK20 to let them know we sent you there. With that said, let's get into it. ITA kickoff weekend as there are 15 regions for us to discuss. We're going to do our best to try and stay organized here on show number one. We've divided all 15 of these regions into four distinct categories. Of course, we have our locks, the players we are unequivocally certain, the players and teams, excuse me, will advance to the final site, which for the women, it should be noted, they will be in Seattle this year uh, at the beautiful Nordstrom Tennis Center. We have our locks for regions. We've got the popcorn regions, the ones you won't want to miss, of course, throughout the course of the weekend. We have our upset alerts, those seeds who are hosting this weekend's action we think may be in trouble. And then, of course, the best of the rest as well. We'll try to do our best, or at least Jay will, as I will be on the prediction on the, excuse me, broadcast for some of these regions. And in order to avoid any appearance of bias. I may be abstaining from certain picks here or there, but don't worry. Jay's got us covered. We'll be making predictions, having all the sorts of fun we like to have here at Crack Rackets. With that in mind, any preliminary kickoff weekend thoughts, Jay, before we get into any specific matchups, your general vibes heading into this weekend, will it be steady or you think we're going to get some rocky course, uh, rocky play? Well, I think one of the big takeaways as I was looking through the kickoff draft bracket, it does not feel like there are as many locks this year as I think we have had in other years, right? Oftentimes you see lots of regions take a long time to fill up and you maybe don't have the most competitive region. People try and shy away from the top schools. I think this year it feels like there's a lot more parity regions where not just one, but maybe two or even three schools could uh, have a chance to qualify for indoors. And I think that makes this a lot more exciting this year. We've talked about it all off season long. We're going to mention it all throughout the course of the year. Let's do it in the first 10 minutes here of our first show. There is an unequivocal depth throughout the course of women's college tennis this season. And part of that is a byproduct, again, of the fact that we still have that extra class that has that extra year of eligibility because of what happened during the 2020 season due to COVID. But yeah, on the women's side in particular, if you listen to any of our preseason podcast naming our preseason top 10, which, by the way, we're going to hold off on until next week till we see kickoff weekend unfold for our first Crack Rackets edition of that top 10. But there are 10 legitimate title contender teams with Selma Ewing's addition to Texas A&M. And we already saw in weekend number one, Michigan, Ohio State earning victories over one of our preseason top teams in Oklahoma. The depth is real. There are going to be some eye-popping results. There are going to be a plethora of 4-2, 4-3 matches, 5-3 set singles decisions throughout the course of the year. Do I think you were a little conservative with uh, assessing locks 
during the course of our organization of these regions. I do. I feel a little bit better about certain teams, I think, than you do. That said, I agree with your sentiment. We probably have different definitions of locks. (laughs) My my definition of a lock was I would I bet the house on this. Okay, I have no doubts about this happening. It's a high bar. uh, And I do think there are a few teams that meet it. You know, there is the highly likely. I feel good about this team. But if there's a chance, I'm not putting them in the lock category. We have a category called best of the rest. For Jay, what he's saying is that court is really highly likely. I think you're going to advance, but we're not going to get to you (laughs) as a quite a lock quite yet. And we'll explain why here on today's show. All right, then. With that said, let's start with the locks because we can blitz through these fairly quickly. You look Again, of the 15 regions and only 15, not 16, because, well, there will be a field of 16 teams in Washington, the host school, University of Washington, guaranteed a bid by virtue of hosting the event. Again, let's start with our locks here on today's show, and let's start with the UNC Tar Heels, who are our preseason number one, who we actually got the chance to see not only play, but flex their lineup muscles over the course of the past weekend. They earned victories over Wisconsin and Auburn. And I have to say, big weekend for the Big Ten here in January to kick off the season. I know Wisconsin lost. They played North Carolina very competitively. North Carolina ultimately goes 2-0. You know, again, they had some fun with Tangillig and Crawley, who played one, who played two. Brant Meyer in on the action. We got to see some bottom of the lineup. Scotty, shout out to 2020. Haven't seen that in a while. Your thoughts on the Tar Heels opening weekend. Your thoughts in a region where you look for this North Carolina team. They are taking on Maryland round number one. They also host Utah and Charlotte. What are you watching for from the Tar Heels this week? Why do you have them as a lock? Well, I think I have them as a lock just because of the the talent and the depth that they have on this team um, is is the best in the country, let alone the best in in their region uh, right there at home. They are the three-time defending champion of national indoors. This is one I would bet my house on them advancing to indoors Um you know, from this weekend, you're right. I mean, playing Auburn and Wisconsin, particularly Auburn on the road, you know, at Wisconsin, that's a neutral site, but they got tested. You know, those were some close singles matches. Um, I think what I'm watching for North Carolina uh, this weekend is Yarla Gada's health. Yarla yes. Gada had to retire uh, in her match there uh, in Auburn. And you know, that's a concern, right? So it's highly likely that they wouldn't need her to play kickoff. Um, So we might not see her at all. And that might not necessarily be an indication that she won't be there for indoors. That's the first thing uh, to be looking for. The second is, you know, Fiona Crawley, I think, surprisingly played some of those matches at number two singles. She's been tested early in this season. Um, She has not, you know, flown through the competition like she did in the fall. So I just look to see Crawley sort of uh, assert those sort of ways from the fall a little bit more this kickoff weekend. A lot of three set singles matches for them last weekend against both Wisconsin and Auburn. And again, Forbes, Brantmeyer seem to be the three, four right now. Scotty sliding in at five. Yarla got a little bit banged up. So translates into six in the Auburn match. She has success in a three set win. I'll say this. They are a lock. Absolutely. The doubles was the most impressive thing. Arsenal, uh, or excuse me, um, 
they lost four total games in the four sets they won in the doubles point throughout the course of the weekend. And, you know, Brant Meyer, who's won a couple 25Ks coming in to play with NCAA champ Scotty, pushes the number one team in the country right now, Crawley to Tan Gillig to the number two spot. And by the way, that's a legitimately excellent number one doubles that should have a conversation to play one. And then it just pushes Abby Forbes to three with Riley Tran, who's been a part of a top 10 team in the country. Yeah, I like the early double solution for UNC. Let me ask you this. Who's the second best team in this region? I, I'm curious to see Utah. You know, yes. Utah has a few transfers on the roster, notably Katya Townsend of Texas A&M, who historically had played top three for them. Uh, has struggled with injuries, was lower in the lineup last season. Um, I believe she'll be playing, you know, in the top of the lineup there. So I, I have I'm curious to see uh, Utah. This is a Utah women's team who got some really good scalps last season in the Pac-12. We'll be looking to build on that momentum. Um, but you know, Charlotte's also playing very close to home, a very familiar environment. I think that's going to be a really close match. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I might go with the Maryland team. And again, mm. sticking with the Big Ten needing all the non-conference wins they can get to work themselves up the rankings. This American, Maryland team's got some experience now, and they bring in a bunch of transfers over the course of the offseason. They're experienced players as well. Do I expect them to beat UNC? Absolutely not. Do I think they should win the second matchup against the loser of Utah Charlotte? Absolutely. And I think they will separate them. I think they will show they are the second best team in this region with their result in match number two. But again, North Carolina has a lock in other news, water wet for the three time defending national indoor champions. Let's move on to lock number two. And honestly, I have to say, this is probably the team I feel second most confident about. Let's go to Pepperdine next because you look for the Pepperdine waves who now have their seventh player. You know, they bring in both Campana sisters over the off season. And uh, obviously when you have a lineup that includes Janice Chen, Savannah Brodus, uh, Lisa Zar, who have all been ranked, it feels like, or will be ranked inside the top 20 of the ITA rankings and, uh, obviously, you have the Campanas who have played a ton of tennis. Redelic, I'm missing a name as well, but this team has a ton of pieces. Oh, excuse me, Bunyawe Timchaiwat, who has also been an All-American at multiple stops. Seems really good. There re- there's a reason they were a top 10 team in our preseason poll, certainly in that inside bubble of national title contenders. They host Clemson, Memphis, Columbia throughout the course of the kickoff weekend. What do you want to see from the Waves? Talk to me about their weekend. Well, Pepperdine's one of the teams we haven't seen. Uh, They were scheduled to come up to Berkeley to play Cal this past weekend. That match gets postponed. So we have not seen them in dual match action this spring. So, I mean, the debut of the lineup is something that we'll all be looking forward to as they fit the pieces of, you know, the the returners, the transfers, and kind of uh, figure out what that lineup looks like. They went through a lot of lineup fluidity last season as they brought in new transfers. So we'll see if that is also the same case here. But I don't expect that they will have too much too much trouble getting out of this region. I think the Clemson match um 
And Clemson's interesting, right? I mean, they they lose their head coach last uh, last fall. A lot of change happening in that program. They have a few transfers out. Um, so I think Pepperdine gets through this comfortably. But you talked about this in the UNC region. The the undercard here of kickoff weekend is that you know consolation match, right? And getting at least a win here in kickoff weekend is so important for so many of these teams. Many of these teams who will face a tough first round match and then look to get a win in the second round and come out feeling really good about the rest of the season. And that could very well happen with a Clemson or a Columbia. The big question for Pepperdine, who plays four? Is it Tim Chiwat? Is it Brodus? Is it Czar? Is it Chen? You could make a legitimate case for all four of them in all four of the top four singles positions. Looked like in Vegas, Chen and Brodus were going to stick together. How could they not? They lost like twice last season. You know, again, is it going to be the Kampatas plus Czar and Tim Chaiwat? What's or you know, what do you do with Redelick and doubles? That's something you look for here this weekend as they make their season debut. But um, yeah, I mean, so again, I ask you of this region, Clemson, Columbia, Memphis, who are you watching most closely of the rest of this of the rest of this group? Well, for for me, it's Clemson. Uh, I'm curious to see how competitive they'll be in this region and what that will look like for the rest of their season in just a brutally tough ACC. I think also uh, for Columbia, right? Will they? How competitive will they be here in the Ivy League with teams like Princeton, um, who have historically been um, been the cream of the crop there? Very well said. Well, then let's move on to our next lock: Texas, defending NCAA champs, two times. Defending NCAA champs now got off to a very slow start at last year's national indoors. But look, it's a different team. It's a different core. There are a lot of lineup questions and this Texas team who we've seen a little bit of. They've been all over the place with their lineups thus far. You look for the Longhorns. They will be hosting Fresno State in match number one. Then they will play the winner of Baylor. It's been a perennial top 20 team, if not better, for much of the past two decades. And Loyola Marymount, who, of course, had a great season last year, but lost a lot of pieces off of last year's team. I expect Texas to cruise. I mean, it's always tough to potentially play a conference foe, which, again, given the inexperience of the LMU team, you'd expect Baylor to advance in that round of 32. I mean, talk to me about the lineup questions for Texas and what you've seen so far. Well, they've certainly been hiding Nicole Kieran, haven't they? Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the all-star freshman has not yet played in singles for uh, for Texas. She did play in doubles, so that was a little nod to hey, you know, she's eligible. Uh, so that's the first question: is do we see her in action here at kickoff weekend? And if we do see her in action, where does she play in that lineup? They you know played a few double headers this, this past weekend, so we've seen a lot of different lineup configurations. We've seen Shavathapan at one, Rapalu at two, Zainalova at three, and the whole sorts of um, you know, other players factoring in there. We didn't see uh, Marley Zane play this past weekend. That's another open question for them, but. Um, yeah, I'm just excited to see what the lineup is that they roll out here, uh, knowing that we haven't seen their full strength lineup yet. Absolutely. I agree with you there. On the flip side, you look at this Baylor team. It's a different group. They lost some pieces off of last year's squad. And again, this is a team that's been at least top 25 for just about every season the past 10 years. What do you expect from this Baylor team this year? Where are they going to be in the Big 12 hierarchy? Well, they haven't 
been in that conversation with the Big 12, right? These past, you know, year, two years, it's been about Texas and, and Oklahoma. Well, they've been, they haven't been at the top of the conversation, but they've always been in that four or five slot. And last year was a particularly deep Big 12 conference. So, you know, again, yeah. you finish fifth in last year's Big 12, you're still very much on the bubble of being a top 16 team. That's generous. Top 25, <laughs> uh, 25, top 25 I would say, sure. yeah. Um, yeah, but even with like Oklahoma State, right, has eclipsed um, some of the results from Baylor. I think this weekend for them, I do expect that they'll beat Loyola Marymount, as you said, just given the pieces that that team has lost in some of their top players. And I think this is an early season test for Baylor to see where they stack up against a familiar foe, but one that has a ton of talent. And they'll know how much work they need to do to look ahead to that Big 12 tournament in April and figure out um, how much work they need to improve on. Very well said. Well, then let's move to our last lock, the Stanford Cardinal, who uh, come in, obviously, with a very talented group of players. But this is also a Stanford team that has not met the standard of success that this program has had over the duration of its existence. You know, these past two years, round of 32, round of 16 exits at the NCAA tournament. That said, this is a Stanford team where you look at their lineup last week. Yepafanova one, Glokina two, defending NCAA singles finalist uh, Connie Ma at three. If you have your defending NCAA singles finalist at three, it speaks to the talent on your roster. And I mean, again, Kansas State, were they great last year? No. Were they sneaky solid? Absolutely. Florida State. A team that's two years removed from making the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament and an Arkansas team that is very much been an NCAA tournament team is an on the rise program with plenty of veterans littered on the roster here this season. I agree Stanford's a lock. This is still a very fun region. Talk to me about the Cardinals, Jay. What do you expect to see from them this weekend? Well, I hope we don't see Connie Mott three again. Uh, <laughs> that was in a lot of ways blasphemous uh, to to college tennis. Uh, so I hope we don't see that. Um, Shouter? Yep, but Finova and Blokina are very good. Very, very good. Um, Connie Mott should be at number one for that team. <laughs> okay. uh, so I look forward to to seeing that. I mean, look, for me, this region is about the Florida State-Arkansas match, right? Mm-hmm. Because that is a match you look at that's an ACC versus an SEC school. You circle that match if you're either team and you say this is a great chance for us to get a good win over a non-conference foe. And Florida State, you mentioned two years ago, Elite Eight. Last year was a rough year for them with injuries and, and roster turnover. An Arkansas team that continues to get better, you know, so that one is really interesting. Arkansas is a few freshmen, you know, Carolina Alonso, who made who won the Carolina or Oklahoma region, whatever they call it there, the Midwest region. Um, so talented players. Uh, that one is is more interesting to me than the rest of this uh, region. I'm fascinated if one of those teams, Arkansas, Florida State, in a year where, look, if you're Florida State just by virtue of being in the ACC, you get a win over Virginia, NC State, Duke, UNC, you find yourself in top 16 contention right away. For Arkansas in a year where, yeah, we now know how good a and is going to be. We think we know how good Georgia can be. Who's three in the SEC right now? Probably Vanderbilt, but why not Arkansas? And, like, you get this win. 
You find yourself in form. Things break right in conference play. A top 16 seed is not out of the realm of possibility. And again, that's why this match is huge, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's huge for all these schools, but for for these in particular, these early yeah. season non-conference wins, it's critical. And I would say even for Stanford, we have them as a lock here. Yeah. They didn't make indoors last season. They went mm-hmm. on the road. They lose to Virginia 4-3. So this is a this is a big weekend for them to get back to indoors, particularly when you look at it's not clear if there will be another top eight Pac-12 team. It's not going to be the gauntlet of the ACC. So they need to get to indoors and they need to get wins there. And it starts with this weekend. Absolutely. Well, those are our locks. Now, again, there are other teams we feel pretty confident about, but Stanford, UNC, uh, Texas, Pepperdine, those are our locks heading into kickoff weekend. Let's move now to the popcorn regions, the ones where if you're going to choose any of the 30 men's and women's sites you have to choose from this weekend, these are, at least on the women's side, the three we think you have to tune into. Let's bring in some weekend results By covering our first popcorn region, let's go to Oklahoma State. And look, this Oklahoma State team has been pretty consistently top 16 over the course of the past seven years consistently. And I mean, look, this was an Oklahoma State team that came on really strong at the end of last season with their results against Pepperdine, Oklahoma, et cetera. And as such, they're the 13th seed and they're hosting kickoff region here. They will host Oregon in match number one. And then they will face the winner of Kansas and a Michigan team whose stock can only be described as on the rise. As Michigan defeats Oklahoma at home last weekend, Michigan a 4-1 win. They win four straight sets in sing- uh, four straight set singles matches. Now, Oklahoma, who we will talk about in a little bit, goes on to get knocked out the next or two days later by Ohio State. The singles results equally disappointing if you're part of Sooner Nation, but let's go glass half full. This is a Michigan team that has five returning starters who all had either success at their position or national level success either last season or this fall. And then they bring in a freshman uh, in Jones who has compiled a top 75 ranking with her fall results. And I mean, again, This team sort of epitomizes the depth that we described to start today's show, right? Where you just have like six, seven, maybe even eight really good options on your roster to turn to. And yet you're not an unequivocal top 10 team. Obviously, Michigan has now that added benefit of having gotten calloused up, play a close match uh, against Oklahoma. But of course, you look at this Oklahoma State women's rosters, plenty of returners still on this team as well. Plenty of talent up and down the roster. Look, it's a fun region, Jay. Talk to me about what you're feeling. Well, let's start with Michigan, right? Fantastic win for them, a fantastic win for the Big Ten uh, to knock off defending NCAA finalists. Oklahoma and Michigan looked like the real deal in that match, right? They lost doubles, no surprise, but they came out firing in singles. And again, I think you're totally right. This Michigan team is a team that you look at six, seven deep that you feel really good about playing uh, match in, match out for you. You know, helps that it was at home, probably helps that it was indoors, but, you know, really good result for that Michigan team. We talked about how we felt like there was a top 11, maybe preseason and kind of who was 12, who was 13. And, 
you know, Michigan was in the conversation for like, oh, they're probably a top 16, but maybe they're a 12, maybe they're a 13, maybe they're higher, right? So, you know, for them to get that win, to kind of get that nationally ranked win, uh, feel felt like the first time in, in a few years um, that they've really asserted themselves, particularly early in this season. But it's not time for them to look ahead to Oklahoma State, right? They have a tough first round in Kansas. This is a Kansas team that came on very strong uh, in that, you know, feisty Big 12 last season, making the Big 12 semifinal. They've got talent at the top of that roster. That's, you know, I know they're in Stillwater, but they can't be focused on Oklahoma State yet. That Kansas match is going to be tough for them. No, and you knew we can play. Uh, Tova can play. They've got talent on that Kansas roster. You know my thoughts on Kansas women's tennis. I always think they have sneaky, excellent depth. And again, that's the thing. You even look for this Oklahoma State team. They bring back a core, Miyamoto, Rojas, Wolfberg, Sorolo, all players who had success at various positions last year. But they're also working in some new pieces as well. And look, what I saw last weekend in Ann Arbor even in the doubles point where Michigan takes the number two position against an Oklahoma team that won doubles against both Michigan and Ohio State, Michigan takes a flight and they lose 7-6 in the deciding rubber with a freshman playing in her first significant dual match on court. The point is, I think Michigan put together actually a pretty good performance in the doubles point. And they're probably mo- the most experienced team top to bottom in this roster. And yet, it's one thing to play at home. It's another to go on the road. Oklahoma State's very good when they've played in Stillwater over the course of the past multiple seasons. I mean, again, it's a popcorn region, Jay. Does Michigan get past Kansas? Does Oklahoma State get by everyone? Give me your forecast of how it all breaks down. Yeah, well, I am intrigued to see this Oklahoma State team. I do think they lost some critical pieces of the roster last season in, at the time, freshman Mai Sawanka, who I think was silently one of the more underrated freshmen uh, of uh, uh, in the country, and then Una Urpana as well. So it's a it's a returning cast of characters, but they're introducing new pieces. They have you know a freshman spring admit who just made her debut in in match play this past weekend. Stillwater is a tough place to play. You know that they will have fans out there. This is a match that I have uh, the hosts losing. Uh, I do think Michigan gets past Kansas. I think Oklahoma State uh, knocks off Oregon. I think Michigan uh, wins this region, which is a really big victory for not only Michigan, but also just for the Big Ten in general, having teams at the indoors, getting any national ranked wins here indoors. It's another massive piece of the overall pie as you think about what kickoff means to the rest of the college tennis season. Well, the conference needs it, given the deficit they're currently at right now in the rankings. And for what it's worth, Oklahoma State and Michigan are going to play like the next week in Ann Arbor. So there'll be a home and home little schedule here back and forth. And I'll tell you what, yeah, Ronnie would sell her soul to be happily lose the match in Ann Arbor to win the one in Stillwater (laughs) this weekend. And again, Big Ten can't afford to get shut out of the national indoors, given where they're at to start the season. But look, it's in Stillwater. It's going to be a really fun region, folks. Buckle up. That is why we have it in the popcorn category. Another region we have in the popcorn category, actually two regions that feature two of our top teams that we had in our preseason rankings. And yet two teams... It's going to be fun to watch them compete throughout the course of this ITA 
inaugural ceremonial kickoff weekend of action. Let's move to the hottest thing since sliced bread. The thing that penetrated Australian Open tennis Twitter, the thing all of us are wondering, will we see Diana Schneider compete for number three NC State this weekend? Now, do the Wolfpack need her? That's a separate question. We will also answer here in this preview, but you look for NC State. It's a fun region. It really is. I mean, you have Illinois in match number one. Illinois, they're not top 40, but they're not outside the top 75 either. That's a real match. Match number one, of course, NC State would then play the winner of Vanderbilt and Furman, two teams that are always in the top 30 discussion. I think Vanderbilt is very well poised for a bounce back season. I think anything less than third is a major disappointment for uh, this Vanderbilt team in the SEC this year. They've got the veterans. They've kind of begun, you know, it, it, it's year three, I believe, for the coaching staff. Things seem pretty steady and in sync now. It's a fun region. Why is it in your popcorn section, Jay? Well, Diana Schneider is certainly, um, you know, something that people will be watching out for. Does she play? And the annoying thing is if she doesn't play, we're still going to be asking this question come indoors, particularly since she did make, you know, the drive to Columbia, South Carolina to face the Gamecocks there. So we'll see. Right. We will see if she plays. Um, That is something we'll be watching for. I just think the NC State Vanderbilt match is a really good match. I think this Vanderbilt team is extremely talented and I think has the depth to go head to head with NC state. I think at four, five and six, I think Vanderbilt likes their chances. And, you know, if you don't have Schneider there, you know, Alana Smith played number one at South Carolina. She really struggled there. Uh, You know, so look, there's an opportunity for, for big upset here. Um, And I'm sure Vanderbilt has that top of mind. Cruz, Kirkina, Lee, Ross, Staff, Stevens, all these players who you just got to see last year take significant reps for this Vanderbilt team and have success for a team that worked its way back into the top 25 conversation by the end of the year. They're all back. You're right. Like, we're not that far removed from Vanderbilt winning an NCAA title. And that's where this program holds itself. It's a massive opportunity early in the season. Now, here's the thing. This is not three years ago, NC State. This is NC State three years later. They're ready. They're a top contender. And I do think from a lineup perspective, who's their six? Like, is it now Miller? Are we going to see her in singles, Jay, even without Schneider? I think seeing who North Carolina State's plays four, five, six, I think that's a fascinating part of this weekend as well. Well, I think four is seems to be locked in with Sophie Abrams. Yeah. Uh, I think the question is five and six. I should have said five and six. You're right. But even then, like, are we sure Abrams is four and not higher? Yes, we're sure. <laughs> okay. uh, well, but if Schneider plays, then no, right? Because you yeah. have, you know, Schneider, Rajecki, Renshelly, Smith. Smith. Um, that's your top four, right? Yeah, and then Abrams is, four. is five. You feel really good about that. She's played started the season very strong. Then you, you know, pick who you want at six. You could play in Nell Miller. You could play Gina Dittman, who has started strong, the transfer from Northern Arizona. Um, and then you have, you know, the 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 other freshman joining Diana Schneider from Russia. So there are pieces there at six. If you move everyone up without Schneider, I think you see Dittman factor into that lineup. And then you probably go Nell Miller just because of her experience. Um, you know, and she had a 
strong Miami Invitational, which went two and one there. Um, got some good ranked wins. So I think you would probably lean Miller in this situation. Yeah. And again, we know the system, the doubles, you know what you're getting from NC State, but do not sell Vanderbilt short in that doubles department either. All right. Give me a pick, Jay. I'm going to go NC State. Yeah. I mean, for those who didn't listen to our preseason podcast, Jay may have picked them to win the national title. Now, under the operating assumption that we will see Schneider play and you make the second round and take Sakari, who's a top 10 player in the world, to three sets, like Kevin Garnett said, anything is possible. Um, but look, Vanderbilt's really good. I think that match goes 4-2 one way or the other. I agree. Still, NC State has just been so good indoors over the course of the past three years. Uh, you feel like they'll find a way to get through at home. Last popcorn region, how about the Georgia Bulldogs, a UGA team that, again, is not that far removed from winning the national indoor event themselves back in, I believe, 2019. You look 19, for yeah. this Georgia program. There's a reason this is in popcorn, and that's because we're looking for the second round match. Now, I will say I like the Notre Dame women's roster. I actually think they are a sneaky NCAA team. We don't want to see them in round one. If it's round two, it's a little bit different, but you don't want them to be the two or dare I say the three seed in your region come the NCAA tournament. And they're going to give USC, the University of Southern California Trojans, a tough test. Obviously for the Trojans, though, you bring in freshman Maddie Sieg. You have the year of uh, the summer on the pro circuit we saw from Snow Han. Aaron Cayetano, who's number one in the country, back this year as well. And then there's a ton of options for them. There's some depth you can find, four, five, six. Are you just straight up forecasting USC, Georgia? What's most interesting about this region to you? Why is it a popcorner? Yeah, it's USC, Georgia, right? Yeah. I, I agree with you. I Two mean, great no colors, by the way. Like, talk about classic college tennis, powerhouse, blue bloods, USC, Absolutely. Georgia. Come on now. Yeah, and you you imagine the environment will be uh, a great one for the Georgia Bulldogs uh, out there cheering. At least I hope so. Uh, I'm sure they'll like to take on USC. It's just a good brand name that they won't want to take on. So I'm looking forward to that match. You know, USC did some funky things with their lineup um, to start the season. They had Aaron Cayetano at number three. So it's tough to project exactly what we'll see from them when they face Georgia. I also think the big thing on the Georgia is that we haven't seen Alex Vekic compete. You know, she does not appear to be eligible. That was a big factor in, you know, us having them so high in our top 10 rankings. Uh, I was just given, you know, the WTA, you know, top 450 type player coming in, challenging a Peyton Stearns on the pro tour. So without her, you know, I, I don't think Georgia is that top four team they might have been with Vekic, but certainly the match with USC, if anything, just gets that much more competitive. I think this past weekend, USC against San Diego, Snohan has struggled a little bit um, playing higher up in the lineup at, at number two and at number one as well. Um, and USC wasn't as strong at four through six as I was expecting them to be, particularly against that San Diego match. Georgia, I don't believe, has played a dual match. I know they were out in California playing invitationals that they were performing very well in. I think one through six, um, you know, they have basically all returners with the exception of Lopata. It's a really strong roster. It's going to be a fun one. 
Hurdle, Kowalski, Lapata, Ma, Riasco, Villanova is still an excellent six, even without Vecic. And yeah, and Grant and Narundorn on the bench. Exactly. So yes, this team loses what would have been a super duper star to add to that complement of players as well. But this is still a really freaking good team. And again, their depth against the USC roster, which is very top heavy. They'll put their top. Well, I don't want to say it's top heavy, but they'll put their top three against anyone and feel fine about it. Um, Look on the road. You probably lean Georgia just because historically they've been so good in Athens, but it's a great test. There are some new pieces, right? How does Lapata play? Obviously, for Riyad Minova, Riasco, you're now a sophomore. There are a few more expectations. I think that's going to be fascinating as well. But look, give me a pick. Who's getting through? I have to lean Georgia on this one. I like Georgia. You know, I think Georgia could lose two of the top three. I think they'll get one of the top three. I think they clean up uh, at the bottom four through six. All right. I like it. Well, two upsets predicted in the popcorn section, and yet we haven't even hit the upset alert category. Let's go there next. Now we have one, two, three, four, five teams in our upset alert category to add to the, again, already upset. We have Jay has predicted, I should say, in Oklahoma State, as well as the battles anticipated in both Georgia and NC State. Let's start with Oklahoma who we have put off for probably far too long here on this show as the most notable weekend of any team coming out of weekend. Number one of the season was for the Oklahoma Sooners who dropped consecutive matches at both uh, Ohio state and Michigan. Let's be clear. This team lost three total matches throughout the course of the 2022 season. They're now two thirds of the way there. And look, they win the doubles point in both matches. That's glass half full. And that's just about the only positive that comes out of the course of the weekend is they go two and 10 in the 12 singles decisions they see. I mean, look, I I have thoughts, but I want to open the floor to you first, Jay. Are they on upset alert by virtue of that opening weekend? Are they an upset alert by virtue of who they're competing against? Or is it all of the above? No, it's mainly just on the weekend, right? Okay. You know, I think, um, you know, I think you look at the who they're playing in this region, you know, Texas Tech, Tulsa, they'll face Minnesota first round. I think Texas Tech has some pieces, particularly at the at the top of the lineup that will be competitive. Um I ultimately don't expect that uh Oklahoma will not get through. This is their actual first time hosting uh kickoff weekend. You mentioned that last season they only lost three matches. They only lost in tournaments last year. They lost in the indoors, they lost in the Big 12 tournament, they lost in the NCAAs. And they go 0-2 in kind of their first big uh, regular season dual match test. It was not a good weekend for Oklahoma. You know, 2-10 and 10 makes it a little bit maybe more generous. One of those was a retirement. Uh, and some of those losses were, were really lopsided. So, you know, coming into this weekend, it's a good opportunity to bounce back. It's a good opportunity to get some wins under their belt across the lineup, one through six, uh, particularly in the, in these first two matches, and get a little more confidence going back into into indoors. But it was a it's a really surprising weekend. Uh, Oklahoma did not look like the Oklahoma that we had seen last season, uh, and I think that was a surprise for most of us. Yeah, it was. Look, being there in person, the spark wasn't there. 
Yeah. If that makes sense. And I know that's an intangible thing, but if you watched Oklahoma play at all last year, even in the moments where they might go down four first sets and singles, which didn't happen that frequently, but just any time they found themselves on the ropes, maybe down four, three on in two sets of break in doubles, then the bouncing came. Then the energy came. A break on six turns into a break on four, turns into a set on three. And that push never happened. Now, the Michigan loss, the scoreboard 4-1, incredibly deceptive. Because, yes, Michigan goes on to earn four straight set victories. But let's be clear, uh, five of the six first sets went 7-5 or further. Three of them ultimately go to breakers. Michigan takes those breakers uh, on or excuse me, Oklahoma actually takes two out of the three breakers. But again, for about two and a half hours in singles where Michigan, yes, got the first sets that they needed, but it was three all. It was four all on just about every court in the second set. And then in the span of five minutes, Michigan had everything break their way. It started with Jaden Brown earning the straight set win at one, but then literally it goes, Serdan wins at six, six, four. Uh, Mesa Chirito, 6-3 at, at four. Miller wins her straight set match at two. And just like that, all of a sudden, now the match that was felt dead even through two and a half hours finished. And so that Michigan match was much closer than I think that scoreboard predicted. With all due respect, you win the doubles point and lose six first sets against Ohio State. I got nothing to defend there. Like I, I, I can't. And again, they switched up the singles lineup. They bring in Ivana Corley in the Ohio state match in uh, lieu of uh, who do they drop? Pisa Reva out of the lineup with all due respect. That didn't seem to work. You know, on, on Sunday, it was a tough day for Ivana Corley. Now again, credit to Shelly Brisniak who has started the year on fire. And I do think there is something to how these two big 10 teams have performed, but I mean, Jay, look, Sleeth is going to lose matches at one. She was exceptional last year, but one singles is one singles. Staker, two close matches, gets a three-setter against Coley Allen, I suppose, to round out the weekend. But this is someone who gets a three-setter. That's not how we talk about Emma Staker here on this show. I mean, again, it's clearly you feel like they know their top two. What's three through six? That's the question for this Oklahoma team that has a ton of returning pieces, but just it doesn't quite have its mojo yet. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I mean, these are all the same players we saw make the NCAA final, right? So the that 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 competitiveness, that fight that you talked about that wasn't there this weekend, that was evident from watch streaming the matches online. It sounds like it was evident in person as well. It's going to take a little while to get that back. Um, you know, they're not starting the season with it. Um, I imagine that there's some expectations that they come into this season feeling that is pressure, right? And look, you talk about this a lot, right? You know, some of these early season losses can ultimately pave the way for a much more successful season. You look at Virginia men last season, they lose five in a row, right? Um, you know, so. I have no doubt that this Oklahoma team will end up being the best version of themselves in May. They're not the best version of themselves right now, but I do imagine that they will get through kickoff weekend and, and that at least will be a positive step in the right direction. Westoff, write this down. We need a triple a sound effect and Alex anecdote alert because it's going to happen throughout the course of the year and it's going to throw us off topic. That's what we're going to do here. I noticed, and again, binary system, one, not a zero, as it comes to tennis playing, the older I got, 
the more difficult it is to get up for matches that you realize in the long term aren't the most significant to your season. And again, this is a team that made the NCAA final, the national indoor final, the big 12 tournament final. They they felt the highest adrenaline, the biggest rushes you can feel throughout the course of a college tennis season. This was an opening weekend in cold weather on the road against two teams who were desperate for wins in a way that, again, from the eye test, you could tell this Oklahoma team was quite maybe not there yet. This might be the biggest blessing to your point that now it's like, wait a second. We took that for granted. It is not going to be this easy to just turn it on. It's time to get rocking and rolling. That's what makes this kickoff weekend so fascinating because, again, Minnesota, Texas Tech, Tulsa, teams that if this Oklahoma team is clicking on all cylinders like they were last year, they should roll through. That's what you're looking for this weekend, right, is for them to roll. Like we're talking four ones and four O's. Yeah, you're looking for the bounce back that you expected to see at Ohio State that didn't come. You're looking for that to come this weekend, right? And look for players that went 0-2, which most did this past weekend, go 2-0, get wins on the board, have a DNF that's 6-0-5-2, right? Be in a winning position. Um, So that's what we we hope to see from Oklahoma. They hope to see themselves. Scotty BS, a really good question in the chat. Where Oklahoma will be ranked tomorrow with the new rankings. I don't know if they will. Inside the top 10? I don't know if they'll be top oh. 10. Sorry. Yo, yeah, well, the rankings are top 25. Coaches yeah, poll. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I do not believe they will be top 10. Yeah. And look, I mean, again, I had a chance to chat with her. Kindest human in the world, Ivana Corley. Go beat someone O&O. Go take a scalp back. Like, come on. You're, I, I just feel like we could see that big weekend, that big bounce back. And so, uh, again, I'm fascinated to see it because we talked about it in the offseason. Is this going to be the 2021 to 2022 equivalent of the Texas men who had this dream season, this dream run, and then sort of had things revert back to the mean the following year? It's way too early to say that about this Oklahoma team, and that's why we're fascinated uh, to watch them this weekend. Obviously, they had a big weekend of results, uh, so we had to spend a little longer on them. You predicting them to advance? I am. I agree. They were, uh, you know, again, upset and alert just so we could chat a little bit longer about them. Let's move on to the team that beat them, Ohio State, who, I mean, again, six first sets in singles. Fun lineup. Ratliff one, Boulay two, Contos three, who was at the number one spot the past couple of seasons. Obviously, this Shelly Brisniak form we've seen is real as she gets no no victory over Ivana Corley, Coley Allen, Marzal. There's just a lot of veterans on this Ohio State roster. And look, they're essentially running back last year's regional. It's them, Tennessee, this time Wake Forest and Old Dominion, who was the Cinderella of last year's National Indoors, joining as well. Why are they in the upset alert category for you, Jay? Well, first off, on the Ohio State win over Oklahoma, that one I felt was a question mark because we hadn't seen Isabel Boulay play in months. So I didn't even know if she would be able to take the court. Um, so for her to take the court and look good in her match, that was a positive for them. You know, same thing with Coley Allen, we hadn't seen as much of. So it wasn't clear what their pieces would be like. That lineup looks very similar to what we saw last year with pieces moving around. But ultimately, they look ready to go for the season, which is a good sign for me. I like this matchup between Ohio State and Tennessee. You have Coach Schaub with her, you know, Tennessee, uh, Tennessee background and 
Um, she and, and the Tennessee head coach are, are go way back. So I always like this matchup. I thought Tennessee underperformed last season at, at kickoff at Ohio State. It was an underwhelming match from them. Um, but I think that this Tennessee team is going to test Ohio State. We've talked about this Tennessee team, I think, throw a dart on the board, right, on who's one through four, who, maybe even one through six. So I think that that means their depth is really strong. And I think Ohio State will be challenged at four, five, six. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that match. I think it'll be a very close one. And you feel like they're a dartboard team where anyone could match up with anyone in either, either team's line, uh, lineup roster and all the matches would still end up pretty good. Obviously, this Wake Forest team has lost a few pieces from last year's squad, but they're typically an NCAA tournament team. Again, Old Dominion's been one of those rising programs over the course of the past few seasons. You going with the Buckeyes or are you picking a straight upset here? I'm going with the Buckeyes. I think the Tennessee performance last year left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Um, and we, you know, we're coming off a good victory for Ohio State. They'll be feeling that momentum heading into uh, kickoff weekend. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's move on to speaking of running it back. It's literally last year's region. Let's move next to Auburn, who look, they lost, but they looked good in a 6-1 loss to North Carolina last weekend, if that's something you can say out loud with a straight face. This Auburn team 2-1 and one coming into the kickoff weekend obviously was massive for this program to reach the national indoors last season. And look, it took drama. 4-3 wins defining their kickoff regen last year at UCF, and UCF's decided to return the favor as they come out to this Auburn region and Look, they're joined by UCF. They're joined by Arizona State, UC Santa Barbara. It's a good region. It's a very good region, Jay. Talk to me about what you expect to see unfold. Yeah, I mean, all teams who were within the top 25 last season. So very even region. Uh, on the UC Santa Barbara front, I mean, they played Cal this past weekend. They only had five players. It's not a good sign. So uh, I'm not sure we'll see Santa Barbara run back the same sort of results they had last season. So I do expect Auburn to get through that opening match. Arizona State, Central Florida, two very sneaky good teams with different pieces this year. Um, so Central Florida bringing in a few freshmen who will factor into the top of the lineup. Same thing with Arizona State um, in Chelsea Fontenelle. You know, I think that that one is the, is the one that... Pe- Either the winner of that team is going to be very thankful that they got that win because it'll carry them quite a while throughout the rest of the season. Uh, but, you know, I was really impressed with Auburn there without Celine Ovunk, uh, there who played number one for them last year. So they're lacking their number one player, and that moves everyone up a spot. I thought Arsenal has really stepped into that number one position. She played excellent this past weekend uh, against Fiona Crawley. I like Auburn to advance from this region. They'll be at home. Um, and I think this is going to help them get two really good, really good victories under their belt that they might not be kind of that top 10 team they were last season, uh, but that this weekend will help them keep afloat throughout the rest of the season. We talked about this for the Big Ten, but it's worth noting for the Pac-12. Boy, would it be nice for Arizona State, who played such a close match last year, round of 32 against Oklahoma. If they could sneak into the top 16, get three good matches at the National Indoors, just help Stanford. It would help USC. It would help every team in the Pac-12 to have that sort of national exposure. And there, look, Arizona State had a lot of double success in the fall. A couple veterans lining that roster as well. 
if you're a non-Power 5 school, you need every shot you can get. And look, this UCF team has been one of the best non-Power 5s, maybe outside of perhaps, I don't know, Pepperdine. Like they might be in that number two spot over the course of the past couple of seasons or certainly have been in that conversation. But yeah, Ovalk's on the roster, right, for this Auburn team. She's just injured right now, not playing. She is, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure we'll see her anytime soon. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. A- anyways, though, Flack, you know, uh, and Arsenal and Ansari. It's it's a returning core. To your point, they had some new pieces play pretty well against North Carolina. Four threes, though. I expect at least one four three match out of this region. Yeah, I expect this second round match, which I think will be Auburn Arizona State, to be very War. close. Yeah. War. Uh, yeah. And the only reason I'm picking Auburn is really because of the home court advantage 100%. here. But they do start, you know, a lot more freshmen than this Arizona State team, right? The core of their lineup at three, at four, um, you know, freshmen. So yeah. uh, going to be a, a factor there. No, when in doubt, always go with the home team. It's a strong philosophy. All right, let's move to Miami next. Let's We'll stay, I suppose, in the Southeast, this Miami roster that brings back some of the pieces that filled out the depth of what was a number 12 team-ish throughout the course, 8 through 12, throughout the course of last season. Uh, you look for this Miami team. I mean, they've got three top 25 teams in the region themselves. Uh, UCLA, who takes on Iowa State. That's a fascinating round number one. One of the better ones you'll see in the country. Of course, Miami going to take on FIU. We get to see Alexa Noel, the weird transition into Miami colors, the All-American coming over from Iowa. What is the UCLA lineup? Your guess is as good as mine right now. Again, this Iowa State team has quietly not the big jump yet. They haven't had that breakout moment on the national scene, but boy, are they lingering. And you see a world where we beat UCLA, we beat Miami. Now, if you're an Iowa State fan, you are feeling like you have introduced yourself to the tennis world. In fact, this could be last year's Auburn. Like, that's how you look at it. If you're Iowa State, we could be last year's Auburn in this position close. But this is our breakthrough moment. I love this region. It might be my favorite in the country, Jay. Talk to me about what you expect. Yeah, Iowa State being last year's Auburn is a good call. Last year's Old Dominion uh, yeah. is, is no, another No, but it's comp. not quite Old Dominion because like, it's, it's just the Power 5 thing. It's like we saw Iowa State play more good teams close last year than maybe we had previously. The same way Auburn would have in the SEC. Yeah, no, that's very true. You know, they, I felt disappointed a little bit in that Auburn match this past weekend that was yeah. not as competitive as I was expecting it to be. And that's kind of what kind of made me say, hey, you know, Auburn, despite maybe not having Ovunk at number one, is still fielding a very strong roster. Uh, we haven't seen UCLA in action. That lineup is going to be very fascinating to see. You know, there's a lot of talented players on it. How do they all factor in? That is circle it one of the best first round matches. And Miami brings back basically everyone but Richardson at one, and they replace her with Alexa Noel. And they add in, you know, a top ITF junior in Gabby Rivera, who should be playing this spring. So they've got a lot of talent on that paper, a lot of talent on that team. The reason why I had this on upset alert is just, I mean, there's three top 25 teams here, right? A lot can happen. And I did think that Miami did not look very strong 
in the Miami Invitational, particularly Fenning and Achong. I believe both went 0-3 against you know Texas, NC State, and Vanderbilt. Those are pieces that they need, and those are pieces that are last season were the strongest pieces on this Miami roster. How rank these three teams by big match experience? Miami, UCLA, Iowa State. These cores we see this year. Because with Newell and Rivera added to Miami, it's tough, right, to say they have more experience than Iowa State. You feel like UCLA, again, I still don't have a rhythm for what their lineup's going to be at this point of the year. I might go Iowa State 1, Miami 2, UCLA 3. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's – I mean – Because this Iowa State core at least is familiar. Yeah, you do have like a Vagramov and a Vanessa Ong on the UCLA team who, you know – were a, once upon a part time of a really strong team yeah. since two years ago 2021 yeah exactly not that right? long ago Good uh point. so maybe they have the most big match experience but man they're gonna that roster is probably gonna be headed up by all underclassmen uh, yeah. who were not there in 2021 that's a, can i ask a you a thought. stupid question who's the best player in this region oh alexa noel over naclo 100 percent yeah, and Alexa Noel is starting to look like the Alexa Noel of the fall of 2021. I mean, she went three and zero. You know, she dispatches of Belmore, Vanderbilt, Shavatapan of Texas, and Rejecki of NC State. She had a very good weekend. She seems to be playing very well. Yeah, look, if she's that player, Miami should advance in this region. Is that who you're picking? It is. Yeah, so they're an upset alert, but. According to Jay, it's just an alert. That said, again, this is a fact. We couldn't just have a category of all my upset picks. We yeah. had to throw in, like, I mean, there needs to be some intrigue. Nope, the, there's a serious alert. And again, by the way, for UCLA, for Iowa State, in the race to be a top 16 seed, you need that first one. Got to have that first one. So that is a massive round of 32 battle as well. Who are you picking in that one? Ooh, you know, I haven't seen UCLA, but I got to lean UCLA. I just wasn't very impressed with Iowa State against Auburn. It's all right, a tough Boomer, loss. Put it on the bulletin board. You heard what Jay said. Um, all right, let's move on then to our final upset alert region. That, of course, is happening over in Berkeley, California, as the Cal Bears will play host to Princeton. That is a spicy round number one matchup. Of course, your other round of 64 battle, Georgia Tech taking on San Diego. What's the bigger test for Cal, match one or match two? It might be having to play match one and then match two yeah. uh, if if they survive. Uh, I mean, both are – I mean, you know, we talked a lot about Princeton last year, and they underdelivered, you know, week after week. So it's tough to think that this is going to be a super – if this is going to be a super competitive match – you know, they go in feeling like they're going to win at number one with Daria Freeman, although what a contrast in styles with Freeman and Giovara at number one there. Uh, I mean, Cal absolutely has the toughest road to advance to indoors, um, in my opinion, of of any of these top schools uh, getting through here. Just because that first round is tough. It's tricky. Auburn, UC Santa Barbara, not as tricky. I don't think it's as true. I mean, you see, yeah, I mean, you see Santa Barbara might not have six players and Freeman and Howard and oh, man, some of the pieces on this Princeton team. You're right. It is a hasty round one battle for this Cal team that looks brings back a ton of talent. To your point, Giovara, Wiersholm, Alsola, Villar Molder, like all the young pieces we saw last year are all a year more experienced. What about this Georgia Tech team, Jay? Talk to me about them. 
Well, I was going to say on that on that Cal point for a second, that's their four. Yeah. Who's five and six? Good question. Uh, you know, they bring in a freshman in Pasola. Maybe she factors in, I believe. Um, Do you think that coach was just typing in Al Sola and she typed in Sola and she was like, who's this Pasola? And then she's like, <laughs> yeah. welcome to the team. That's how she discovered her. It could very well be. Uh, it's a good call. You know, so I, you know, and I don't think um, I believe Valentina Ivanov is, is injured, um, so she will not be factoring in. So, But that would be one of the five, by the way, five or six would probably be her. Maybe. Uh, and you know, yeah. she played basically every position last year, went five and ten, mm-hmm. tough sled in the last season. So maybe um, the Georgia Tech team, look, I think they were really underranked last season. I think Carol Lee is you know, a very solid number one player. It's a Georgia Tech team that's always competitive indoors. Uh, not that this match will be indoors, but just yeah. in the indoor tournament. I think Georgia Tech beats San Diego, but I think that that's a, a tricky round one. And I actually think both Georgia Tech and Princeton match up well with Cal because they're both going to win at number one. That's that's a take. And look, Jane and Harastar behind Lee as well on that Georgia Tech roster. There are some pieces there that, again, it's two tough matches for this Cal team to get through to the national indoors where let's not forget round of 16 last year. They played a thrilling, thrilling first round match against Texas A&M. Who are you picking? You going with the upset here? It's been a while since you picked one. I am going with the upset. Here. Oh, yeah, I don't think Cal gets out of this region. Uh, I think they probably scrape by Princeton. I think they lose to Georgia Tech. All right. It's two tough matches. I mean, again, uh, and go ahead, make the case. Well, I was going to say, I think they take number one. I think Carol Lee wins at one. And I think they kind of clean up at, at five and six. I think Alsola, Weirschelm, Villermoller are solid two through four. Not that Georgia Tech can't win any of those spots, but I much prefer Georgia Tech at five and six, given the questions uh, about the Cal depth right now. All right. I like the spice coming out of UJ. Well, then let's move now to our final category of regions, the Best of the rest, or as Jay likes to refer him, I'm pretty sure you're going to advance. I'm just not ready to bet the house on you quite yet. Let's start with Texas A&M. The biggest question, of course, for the Aggies, what's the roster going to look like? Who's the top four? You know, where does Stoyana go? Where does Branstein go? Where does, uh, where do the freshmen go? And Goldsmith and Ewing and, again, Legitimate questions, good questions to have. If you're head coach Mark Weaver, of course, they're going to be the heavy favorites in round one as they take on Florida Atlantic. They'll likely take on Florida in round number two, though I'd point out it's a veteran-laced Arizona team, so just keep an eye on them to play a friskier 4-1-4-2 match than you might expect. But look, we'll get to see the Aggies flex their muscles. You have stated in the past, and I think if you look at the schedule itself sometimes they don't have the toughest non-conference schedule and so it kind of is essential for this AM team yeah they play in the sec so they'll be fine no matter what but they really want to be a top eight seed boy would it help to get to the national indoors and you know florida's still florida that said talk to me about this region what you're most interested in yeah, well, in this AM team, you mentioned that Cal match. This AM team wants to get back to indoors and get some revenge for what they believe, you know, was a 
a match they should have won and probably should have gone on to continue to win it indoors. So, you know, they will be, you know, looking ahead at indoors, trying to get through kickoff weekend. It's a loaded A&M team. It's another region. I feel good about Texas A&M getting through here. The reason I have it not as a lock is because they're probably going to face Florida again, a team that knows them very well. Texas A&M didn't have a ton of trouble with Florida last season, but it's always tough to beat a team that knows you super well, particularly early in the season. I expect AM will have a few new pieces in Mia Kupris, maybe in, you know, Darius Smet, Smet Onikoff. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think Texas AM gets through. I think they face Florida. And um, I think it's pretty straightforward, but we'll see. No Zian, no Kessler anymore for Florida makes this a completely different challenge, obviously. That's yeah. their top two players from last year. I I mean, again, and you just still, who fits in where for this Texans A&M team? Where do the double spots go? Again, A&M lost two matches last season. They lost round of 16 national indoors 4-3. They lost quarterfinals NCAA tournament 4-3. This is a roster that maybe has the nobody believes in us revenge factor at the start of the year more than any other team to just want to prove to everyone, everyone, hey, no, 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 we were amongst the elite of the elite last year. And the, the you know round of 16 quarterfinals doesn't sound elite, but we're going to show you all right now that we're going to compete for the big boy titles right out of the gates. This A&M team scares me. Like if I'm any other team in the country, like I just think young pieces with opportunities to get better, veterans making leaps as well, such as a Stoyana, Goldsmith anchoring it all as the I've seen everything eyes fifth year. I like this A&M team a lot, Jay. I assume you're picking them to advance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they would have been in the lock category for me. I'll do respect to Florida. That would have been our biggest disagreement. Um, All right, let's move next to Duke. Again, the funniest thing in the world is you look at this Duke, our preseason number nine team, and then you actually look at the roster of talent they have available to them. And again, your jaw sometimes drop this Duke team, uh, who, of course, made the semifinals last year of the NCAA tournament, got a much needed win over North Carolina as well to get things right where they want them to be for Coach Ashworth and the Blue Devils. Now, Kelly Chen may be gone, but Drummy's back. Beck is back. Mora's in. Bryce Golova's in, Schwetz is in, Jackson, Coleman, all the pieces, they've all returned and they're all looking, you know, again, in form thus far, Duke 3-0 in the matches they played so far this year. Now, look, in this region, I'm curious, were you that impressed by Wisconsin against UNC that you were like, you know what, I can no longer make Duke a lock? Was it SMU? Was it VCU? Why is Duke in the best of the rest section for you? Duke is in that section for two reasons. The first is this Wisconsin team is good. And I think they are making a big leap between last season and this season. I think they are arguably the third best team in the Big Ten. I think they played uh, UNC very close. I can see you doing the math in your head. On who well, I was just like Northwestern. I was like, OK, carry on. Yeah. Uh, so. I think that they, I mean, they returned basically everyone from last season. They bring in a new freshman and they played, you know, you know, they played down in Auburn, uh, UNC very close. So that's one reason. And then the second reason is, look, Duke got knocked off last season. They got knocked off at home by Oklahoma a team that eventually that loss aged quite well for this Duke team. Uh, but, you know, that's the other reason I, I would I bet the house on it. No. Uh, do I feel really good about Duke advancing? Yes. But I think that Duke-Wisconsin match 
assuming Wisconsin gets by SMU, it's going to be really close. And I'm curious to see the Duke lineup. You know, we saw a lot of different permutations of it in some of their early matches. We saw Drummy at four. We saw both Bryce Golova and Fats playing below both Jackson and Coleman. So, you know, it's, yeah, you know, we've talked about that Duke lineup. If you have these underclassmen, these like veteran undergrads, and then these grad students, it's, it's an interesting mix. Said it before. I'll say it again. I would hire Kelsey McKenna tomorrow to lead my program. Like I, I'm as high on her as a coach as any of the other young coaches we see right now in college tennis from the Audras all the way through. Does Simon count as a young coach since his career at NC State is still relatively young? I I don't know if he counts. It's it's I'll call him a young coach, young in spirit, young in spirit. But again, Kelsey and what she's building at Wisconsin, like with Cybeck, Kaldi, Markham, Kurtova, just all the pieces. Yeah. It's a really good team. The flip side of your argument, Duke lost in this round last year. Do you think they're going to let that happen twice in a row? Like, do you think they're going to get caught off guard by this Wisconsin team this time? You don't think Jamie's like, we will never let what that Oklahoma team did happen to us again? Like, isn't that an extra motivating factor for a team that has a ton of returners back? Yeah, it's but it's added pressure, right? I mean, did we think Oklahoma would go 0-2 and only win two singles matches against Michigan, Ohio State? No, but... Pressure does funny things. Are they going to be extra motivated? Yes. Does that make them more tight in the big moments? Maybe also yes. Will Wisconsin feel like a massive underdog? You know, yes. Look, I think Duke is getting through, but I don't think it's a lock. I don't think that's the Billie Jean King quote that pressure causes funky things. I thought it was pressure is a privilege. That's what they tell themselves in the locker room. I say pressure <laughs> pressure does funny things as an outsider looking at these matches. I like it. Well, again, I assume you're still, that said, picking Duke to advance. I am. All right. Well, then let's move to our final region, University of Virginia. Who's going to play one for this Virginia team? That is a fascinating question entering the kickoff weekend. And look, Washington State pretty solid throughout the course of last year. South Carolina, we didn't see Hamner last weekend, but when they have her, we know that top two, Hamner, Ackley from there, that's a top 25 caliber team. And then there's a Northwestern team that has perennially been top 25, if not better, throughout the uh, tenure of head coach Claire Pollard. It's a good region. You know, in other years, Virginia, South Carolina, Northwestern would all be top 25 teams as well. Now, right now, it's just Virginia, but I'm as fascinated in the 2-3 match, as, you know, as I am of any other region in the country. I think each of the day two matches, whoever the winners are, whoever the losers are, those matches will be competitive as well. Jay, give me your breakdown of this Charlottesville region. Well, for Virginia, I mean, lots of lineup questions here, right? Just, you know, you have a team that goes eight deep and you feel like your eight is just as good as your three on any given day. So it's going to be tough to come up with a lineup that they feel really good about. I expect the lineup we see at kickoff weekend probably changes a lot over the course of the next few months. But ultimately, you know, they have a lot of returners from last season, you know, led by Natasha Subash, who's kind of been around now for many years, Chervinsky, Hibishake, uh, Ziodato, you know, they've got enough returners. Plus, they have grad transfer Julia Adams from Furman. Very experienced team. A top half lineup caliber player, by the way. Let's not throw Adam short. No, absolutely. I wasn't doing that in order. Just, you know. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They I just all these context players. for yeah. listeners who didn't hear the preseason pod. Yes. Well, you should go listen. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's 
we'll see what what Virginia rolls out with. Uh, the big question for me is about Sarah Hamner of South Carolina, right? She has been in a walking boot. She didn't play at the uh, NC State match this past weekend. So whether or not she's healthy, we will have to see. I think that's going to be a, another one of those matches, South Carolina Northwestern, where you just you need to win that match. Whether yeah. you're South Carolina or you're Northwestern, you need to win that match. I don't think Washington State it will be as competitive this year, you know, losing, you know, Michaela Baylorova of last season, who was a, you know, all American, I believe, you know, top caliber player. I think ultimately Virginia gets through, but that, you know, South Carolina Northwestern one is the, the one to circle. No, it's a really good first round match. But with that said, that's our look at all 15 ITA kickoff regions. Let's go through one more time, Jay. I just want to hear your predictions again. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Texas region. You're taking Texas. Yes. I'm just going on the order. They have it at slam tennis. Shout out to the slam tennis as a resource. Miami region. You're going Miami. Yep. Pepperdine region. Pepperdine. Virginia region. Virginia. Georgia region. Georgia. Stanford region. Stanford. Duke region. Duke. Boring. North Carolina region. Charlotte. Uh, (laughs) North Carolina. Make sure everyone's paying attention. Auburn region. Auburn. Oh, yeah, don't feel pressure. I agree with that pick. I think that's the right pick. Cal region? Georgia Tech. NC State region? NC State. Ooh, but uh, listeners who are, aren't listening but or are listening but didn't view, there was some serious hesitant. Jay likes this Vanderbilt team. Uh, look, I think I'm going to be proven right uh, yeah. by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this that's one where, look, if no I Diana like Schneider – they're like, the women's Texas A&M this year. Like the Texas A&M of last season? No, no, no. They are oh, the, the Texas oh. A&M men and the Vanderbilt women are the same uh-huh. team this year. Not no way. You're uh-huh. wrong. I think that's A&M's way overselling the Texas A&M men and underselling the Vanderbilt women. See, this I is think an I'm elite selling... Vanderbilt team. Oh, okay. So you're well, first of all, I think A&M's really good on the men's side. Um, like I'm just I'm just telling you just Trust me, this is one of those reasons I might even put the Alex Gruskin reputation on the line that A&M finishes as a top 16 seed. Like, I think they're very good on the men's side. That's a debate for a different time. I think this Vanderbilt team, I will be shocked if they're not top 16. Like, I agree with you. I think they're that good this year. I just think the top tier is that crowded. And so that's interesting, though. It's interesting. Um, Jay, to quote Jay, he will be proven right throughout the course of this (laughs) season. And to be honest, I agree with you. All right, A&M region. A&M. Oklahoma State. Ooh, Michigan. Ohio State. Ohio State. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. All right, folks. Those are your 15 picks for this weekend's kickoff inaugural start to the 2023 college tennis season. Now, as you see on your screen, uh, the ITA kickoff weekend is going to be jam-packed, filled with so much action. We here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to be bringing you so much of that action from Friday to Monday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. We will have a plethora of host sites available to be viewed throughout the course of the weekend. And we're going to have a ton of fun guests joining us to break down all the action as well. Myself, CR contributor, Gil Gross, 10-time All-American, Will Blumberg, and hopefully a few more friends along the way as well. So, folks, if you listen to an hour, 18 minutes of Jay and I pontificating of how the weekend will unfold, come watch it 
unfold alongside of us throughout the course of the weekend here on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. With that said, of course, a shout out as well to our friends at LS, who we are so excited to have a part of our team here on the deciding point moving forward. And again, Come on. They say the man makes the shirt for LS. The shirt makes the man a shout it's out. It's spiffy. As... It's very spiffy. Thank you. Do I have to dress this well now moving forward? Or are you going to judge me? If You're I setting don't? the high bar. I know it's episode one. I was like, well, what if I wear a collar on this episode? And yeah, that's what we went with. So shout out to the collar. Uh, shout out as well to our friends at Swing Vision. Learn more. Click on the Swing Vision app. Forefront artificial technology, intelligence in tennis. You know how those words are supposed to work. With that said, Jay. Any final thoughts before we wrap this inaugural show? I have one final question. Please. Is how many hours will Will Will, will Blumberg be doing this weekend? Is he putting in the hard hours? I want to know. What to you qualifies as hard hours, particularly if he's not get, getting paid? Well, I'm not getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> So, is he doing two plus hours? It's a good question. Um, I don't think we've, I haven't made the schedule. Jay, it's Tuesday. You think I've made the schedule yet? Come on. I'm just asking even, the questions. No, it's a great question to ask. I would say if the over under is two and a half over the course of the four days, I think we get at least an hour from Will a day. Okay. I can, yeah, that's, that's good. You, you can hang with that. Yeah. Will he have a, a better camera angle? <laughs> That's a deep cut. We'll talk to him. We'll okay. talk to him. I'll talk yeah. to him. You know, Westoff, uh, yeah, I was going to say, Westoff has up-leveled the production value for this 23 season. That's let's, really let's funny. Keep it going Will he well. a different camera angle? That's, that's a good question to ask, Jay. Um, yeah, all fair points. All fair points. Well, with that said, then, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, who, by the way, has his own spinoff series. You can hear him every week over on the No Ad, No Problem podcast, where he and Ethan, last name, pronunciation, unclear. Moskowski. Yes, thank you, Ethan Moskowski. Breakdown all the action week in, week out, and I think excellent additional material in addition to this show. Uh, be sure to check that out each and every week. With that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at LS, our friends at Swing Vision, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, for the first time this season here on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, what do we tell our viewers? Hey, great shot. We will see you all tomorrow for the men's show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.